Hello and welcome to Arrest Armor Mix. My name is Ben Tallon. This is the original thinking and creative innovation podcast. The weather today is radical and new. Yeah. Got Dixon Baxi coming up on the show. Fantastic branding and creative agency. We'll get onto that very, very soon. But I have to say thank you to my wonderful sponsors who keep this show free every week for you guys. I hope that's still cool. I hope you're enjoying. I hope you're finding time to digest everything that I'm putting out there. Thanks to Claudine O'Sullivan and Sir John Hegarty for the last two brilliant, brilliant episodes. Claudine winning the Advertising Category Award in the World Illustration Awards only one year into her full-time freelance illustration career. Top lass. Really nice girl, uh, fantastic work, way ahead of her time and very, very deserving. So, Claudine, if you are listening, don't get imposter syndrome. <laughs> we talked about that in the episode. It's, it plagues all of us to a degree, I think. Um, anyway, I'm going off on one. So thanks again also to Sir John Hegarty for a brilliant 75th episode. Cheers to those guys. Loads of new content coming up as well. Um, first from founding sponsor, Illustration Limited, illustrationweb.com. Uh, superb agency representing illustrators for fashion, sport, TV, uh, set design, live artwork, wall art, large-scale stuff, you name it. It's all going on. Fantastic bunch of people representing a huge host of talent. So go and check them out, illustrationweb.com. Heartinternet.co.uk, my second sponsor, and tech guys. They're fantastic. They deal with SEO, hosting, URLs. Uh, and they just give a lot of creative support in terms of technology and where you need to be to be seen on Google, to be recognized, to be pulling in those people who are searching for whatever it is you do, be that photography, design, illustration, music. It doesn't really matter if you've got that, your SEO on point, that search engine optimization, uh, then you're going to rise up those Google rankings so that when someone from the other side of the world is looking for whatever it is you do, let's hope you're going to be found. So go and check them out. They're great guys. They do it in a really fun way and they're very passionate about what they do and they break it down really well. Go back and listen to the episode with Nick Leach from Heart Internet, um, who I met initially. He's a top guy. He was there from the advent of the dot-com era, and he knows what he's talking about. So he gives some great basic tips for social media use, for SEO, for all that good stuff. So cheers to heartinternet.co.uk. Um, I thought it was worth making a little mention of Dixon Baxi, today's guests, in that context, because... They have got a really good eye on technology and they work real multimedia. They I just started shooting their next feature film in China when I'd spoken to them. Um, they'd worked on crazy, crazy work with the Premier League, which we'll touch upon soon, working with augmented reality and uh, in-game graphics, motion graphics, all that kind of stuff. And Simon from Dixon Baxi said to me that... We've always embraced technology. Uh, how can you? Uh, how that can liberate you to communicate with people? Um, but most importantly, it has to be based around people. As does all their work, listening, taking notice, and building relationships. So there's a nice, concise point brought to you by today's guests and courtesy of HeartInternet.co.uk. Go and check them out. Fantastic guys. Printed.com, my personal printer, the show's printer, um, I use them all the time, I know people that are coming to use them, they're great customer service, over 90 different products, all sorts of different finishes, um, for great on the nuances, they, they really work with you to customise your products, very affordable and great customer service teams, so go and check them out at Printed.com. When I arrived uh, at Dixon Baxi's office, I was given a little uh, a little look around and uh, Simon got the, got the kettle on, and covering about a quarter of the floor in one section of their offices were printouts that were going to compile 
their new retrospective book looking back at all their work over the years and the wide range of amazing products that they're going to be discussing today. And I've mentioned it before, but I have to just reiterate again the importance of seeing that work in a tangible format such as print. I've worked with people at the big issue before and a number of magazines that I've worked on, whether that's a personal project or commercial mags like the big issue. And you just can't overestimate seeing that stuff laid out so you can get the sense of the flow, the colour, how it's going to look in print. Uh, it's so important. And it really it always will have a place no matter how digital things get. So that little point there is courtesy of printed.com. Brilliant, brilliant supporters of the show and the creative industry. So thanks to those guys. Thanks to all three. Wouldn't be able to do this without you. So without further ado, Dixon Baxi. Um, I came across Dixon Baxi... A little while back, um, just doing the rounds, looking on the usual websites, Design Week, Creative Review, um, all those places, all those spaces. And I really kind of sat up and took notice when I saw their branding work for the Premier League last season. So they worked with Design Studio and a number of other clients to bring together a whole new rebrand for the Premier League since they dropped the title sponsors. So over the years, it's been Carlin Premiership, uh, Barclay Card Premier League, you name it. And they basically dropped all of that, which loosened it up, and they had to go with a whole new visual identity. And what that brought about was a nice license for them to work with an agency like Design Studio, and then bring in Dixon Baxi to work on an absolutely stunning set of, how can I describe it? Um, They describe it as a radical new TV experience for the world's most watched football league. Um, and I said, changing the game for over 2 billion fans around the world. Football will never be the same. Show titles, in-match graphics, augmented reality, touchscreen, studio graphics, all united by a unique field of play, motion, behaviour and epic official Premier League soundtrack. Pretty forward-thinking stuff for football, take it from me. Somebody who's worked right throughout my career in the sport, um, you are met with a lot of parameters just because, you know... They're concentrating on the game as they should be, as as Dixon Baxi talk about today, and why that needs to be a positive. Um, so to see this stuff with the awesome colour palette they've gone with, and the the fan interaction, and and the way they've done this blew me away. So I wanted to talk to Dixon Baxi about their ethos and about their creative spirit and about how they implemented that upon this project with such a global giant. Uh, they're not alone. They've worked with the History Channel, Eurosport, Sony. Um, CNBC, they've gone truly global and we're going to talk about the importance of that, of staying fresh, of staying ahead of the curve, embracing the new as Simon will talk about a little later on. So I'm joined by Simon and Apova, founding members of Dixon Baxi and they're a fantastic duo and they really do balance each other out and the, the dynamic I got with them in the room was truly a thing of beauty and it's something I'm trying to implement in my own plans, setting up Bollock Johnson, my um, my own creative not agency, but my own sort of art direction project collaboration with Danny Allison, who's a photographer and illustrator and was the first ever guest on the show, if you want to go back and listen to that. But it's so important, and the way that our minds sort of sync, this symbiotic relationship in the room. There'll be times when we argue, when we disagree over things, when we have to tell each other off for certain things, but it's all very honest, very open, and it's just, it's real. It's very authentic, we're very passionate, and that's why sometimes it goes swimmingly, other times we're at loggerheads, and that's what you need, I think, for a successful creative practitioner. Um, So we're going to talk about all that stuff. They're wonderful, wonderful people, and we're going to look at all their work, and we're going to talk about why over the years um, they 
try not to look back too much and they're always thinking forward and why it's crucial to create that relationship with your clients. So it's really inspiring stuff. And I love spending time with these two guys. So thanks again to Simon and Apova. Uh, we'll get you to that conversation momentarily, but a little thank you again for my sponsors, illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk and printed.com. And also thanks as ever to the Association of Illustrators for supporting the show ongoing. Go and take a look at them at theaoi.com. So there you have it. Dixon Baxi coming up. Um, go and check out all their channels. The videos are all out there to see and the projects. It's inspiring work and it's an inspiring conversation. So without further ado, let's get to it. Well, let's start with background. So where are you guys from, sort of individually? And, and what's the story? How did you yeah, um, I'm from York originally, so northern by birth. And that's where I studied. I studied graphic design at York College. Mm. That's my background, sign and speaking. Um, this is Apova. Uh, I actually grew up in London. I grew up in uh, South London in, in Forest Hill, of all places, and then uh, moved to uh, the north of London. Um, my folks are in, in Harrow, but I've spent all my time in, in London. We've worked, so uh, I've worked internationally, lived in New York and, and Sydney, but uh, London is home. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, what's, I mean, what about creative backgrounds? Were you both creative as kids? Families creative? Yeah, my, my family is quite creative. My dad was a photographer and a writer, mm. um, also a musician as well. And my mum's quite creative. So the family's a relatively creative, um, I suppose, bohemian family. Mm. So I was home educated as well, so I was schooled by my That's parents, which is very different to you know, the usual background. And I suppose what that breeds is independence and freedom. So I always had that as a back background and when I was very young I knew that I wanted to be some form of artist Mm. so I used to draw comics I used to paint I used to sketch and all that kind of stuff and because I was home educated I went to uh, do my um, exams quite early I was 15 when I went to college to do my exams so I just tried lots of different artistic disciplines so I did printmaking photography illustration I did a fine art foundation course Mm. Uh, I was in really into people like Rauschenberg and kind of collage type artists and stuff. And I suddenly thought, if I mix all these things, maybe I could be a graphic designer. <laughs> so I did a graphic design course and it went brilliantly. So I learned um, Swiss typography and design and hot metal and Berthold. And then I stuck back with the kind of more artistic stuff I'd learned. And it seemed to work really well. And that's kind of what got me in again. Sounds like you felt stumbled on it. Perhaps earlier than most, then, in that respect. I guess, I guess with a little head start and going a little early, maybe... Yeah, maybe. I think it's, it's always weird when, you, when I talk about it, because I don't talk about it very often, but you don't know how it works with other people. But I, always wanted, I was always a very visual person. So I love music, but I was never good at making music. And I love sport, but physically I was never, I was never a good football player. <laughs> um, but I was a very visual person. I loved film and things like that. Uh, I loved art, and, and I knew that visual was the way to go so I just used to draw all the time I used to read a lot as well and that's really how I got educated was reading that's that's really where most of my knowledge came from mm-hmm. so I was always a bit of a tinkerer a bit of an experimenter yeah, yeah. and like I said when I was um, quite young we used to write uh, comic books and illustrate them and that's kind of got what, what got me into being creative I suppose but at the time I didn't really think about it like that I just thought this is what I'll do but then as I got nearer to being a bit older and I thought, shit, I might have to get a job at some point, <laughs> I just started to be a bit more practical and graphic design seemed to speak to quite a few things. Mm. It's one of the few disciplines that makes a tangible sense when you're starting out, doesn't it? It's a little bit more yeah. defined, I suppose, in some... Yeah, it was to a certain extent. I mean, my uh, journey is 
it's, I guess, not dissimilar in the sense that I always had a passion for, um, or knew that maybe like most kids that I like drawing and so on. So I'd end up drawing um, one car over and over again, which is a Lotus Esprit Turbo. And then I, I kind of, you know, grew up drawing that over and over. And, and that was really interesting. So that's another passion I have, which is cars in general. Um, but, I mean, my education was um, pretty standard, you know, in the sense of going through school, um, going through GCSEs and A-levels and so on. But I always kind of knew that there was a... Um, yeah, I was really drawn to, to films and so on. And to be honest, I owe that to my... Dad, I mean, my, my family, my mum and dad, uh, are not necessarily artistic, but my dad uh, was, he's very worldly in the sense that we used to go travelling uh, all over the world, uh, we used to spend time, um, you know, trying all sorts of foods, um, and so in that sense, I think he was, um, and has always been kind of an influence and inspiration in terms of seeing the world in a different way, um, but as is the, the way with um, uh, some Indian families, they expected that I would probably pursue yeah, yeah. the path of least resistance and, and follow uh, you know, them into engineering or medicine or, or whatever. And so they're a little bit aghast that I <laughs> decided that uh, graphic design or design in general was something that I was really keen on. And um, you know, I, I kind of met a bunch of um, people at school that were, that were really into it. But at that time, to your, to your question about design and didn't know it existed as a profession and yeah. my folks certainly didn't mm-hmm. um, and uh, th- their worry wasn't that um, anything but you know can you make a living doing this yeah. uh, and will you be all right you know that, that kind of thing that parents do is that they worry about their kids yeah. um, but uh, you know I was I was just kind of set on it and and um, much t- surprisingly you know I've got to say that I, I did an A-level in art I didn't do very well and um, my uh, teacher said actually you know what maybe this isn't for you um, which was amazing um, yeah, and, and I, I, yeah exactly I was I was really um, I, that actually spurred me on to be honest because I was like well exactly uh, screw him and um, I'm going to prove that I can do this so I ended up going to um, uh, I did a foundation at Middlesex University um, and that, that's where I kind of tried fine art and design and all sorts and, and, and that led me into design and graphic design mm. so it was an interesting journey in it, but I would say that the, the influences are, are very much kind of film and, um, and, and kind of just, the, just drawing things you know although funnily enough now I'm not great at drawing but there must be hundreds of kids who do that yeah yes, you just so. sit See in your bedroom doodling, don't you? You might yeah. draw a cat, yeah. or you draw like I was drawing cartoon characters or yeah. superheroes. Yeah. That was the thing I, I was into. But you sit there drawing, and then from that you use your imagination, and then from yes. your imagination you're basically into narrative or storytelling or yeah. ideation or whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. And then you know once you've got that habit, you can decide what to do with it. Well, you do. I think you're learning them with a quite a naivety at that age as well. Yeah, exactly. There's a certain innocence. I mean, my my to. To marry up to that, my thing was was real wrestling and football was very much my yeah. like, two things, and it was yeah. the same thing. Like right. about the cars, it was. Yeah. But actually, it's, them things have never been discarded for whatever reason. I've always whether it's been good tutors, parents, various yeah. influences. Yeah. Ultimately, they were the things that really did give me the passion and, and the kind of fuel to, to keep. I guess something for the drawing to, to lead into, you know. Yeah, yeah. you need um, you know people who mentor you is really helpful. I mean, I was always very independent when I was young, uh, mainly because of. You know, like I was saying earlier about background, 
But um, it is good to have, like I had one tutor when, when I was at York and a lot of these people around me, I was lucky to have some really good contemporaries who were excellent designers, so that kind of spurred me on. But there's one guy, a guy called Jim Deans, who he taught me Swiss typography and he was very passionate about it. And it's a real niche, you know, it was certainly it was up north in whenever it was. Um, it was a really niche thing. But the sparkle in his eye when he taught it made you think something. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes in order to end up where you're going to be, it is quite nice occasionally to bump into somebody who has a passion for something that spurs you on. You might not end up doing the same thing as them, but they, they make you think differently about the world. Mm-hmm. And I think mentorship and education and bringing people on creatively is really important. It's like a, probably the most important thing you can do. We have an intern program here where... We, we have a lot of interns who come through and try and mentor them through and we hire through that process as well and they become permanent members of the team and hopefully we can train them up to be great creatives and senior people as their career develops and that's probably one of the most rewarding things we get to do in mm-hmm. having your own company mm-hmm. it's amazing to have that um, sense of new energy in the yeah. company yeah yeah it's, I mean they've done very little bits of teaching every now and again and when you see someone activate with a certain idea or just, or yeah. just get something it's a really empowering lovely feeling well there's a lot of things in life that suppress people you know preconceptions of what people should do and preconceptions are about how people create so anybody who can take the tap off that and let people's uh, creativity out I think it's a really important thing yeah mm-hmm. I, I, I love that you know it's just um, uh, I was working with some of the, the junior designers just now but you can see that um, they uh, bloom and they blossom it, it kind of sounds like a cliche but when you spend time and it's it's really interesting in a, in a busy studio that time is is the most valuable thing and it, it's sometimes hard to do that but saying the right things you know um, protecting uh, the idea helping them see something that they haven't seen is is really great and and especially when there's a, a positive response to that you know I, I think it's, it's not just in our industry, it's, it's in any. If someone is passionate about what they do or, or um, you tap into that, um, you know, I think that's really exciting. And I, I guess that's why I brought up that thing about um, uh, the teacher saying, well, maybe this isn't quite right or maybe you should go here. It wasn't that they weren't being helpful, but there was um, almost an opportunity or there's kind of a, a path that you could, there's a couple of paths, and I think it's a responsibility of anyone in that position to to help ferry them in the right one yeah so. push them along a little yeah, bit yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah and so what about the Dixon Baxi story are you guys are you the co-founders yeah we've ne- we are into our second decade of working together so we've been together for quite a long time um, and we met um, at another agency in the mid 90s in 94 I think 94 yeah 94 and I went down to London to open a design studio with a co-founder of another agency. So we were kind of came out on the ground as a troops to kind of open the studio. And I met a pover, who's the first person that I interviewed and met in London in terms of design. He was recommended by a friend of mine. And we just had a long chat. It was really interesting. We had a chat about films and life and um, creativity and lots of things. Nothing. We didn't do an interview, we didn't talk about what we were doing, we just talked about shit, and it was really interesting. And it lasted like two and a half hours, and we had a really good time. So, uh, Apova joined us, and we just started working together side by side, and we were both really young and raw, and we just kind of, there was like a nice kind of um, 
competitive spirit between us, and there always has mm. been. There's a nice um, the kind of the overlap between the two is, I think, is where the magic is. Both of mm. us are pretty good at what we do, but when we do things together, there's something really special about that. I think, and we found that very early in our kind of creative relationship. And then over the years, I went to New York and San Francisco to open some studios, and Bob went to Sydney with the same company and ran London for a while. So we worked together, but remotely more as kind of a senior creative directors and group creative directors of this company. And then after a few years, we thought we've learned a lot really quickly. We went from print designers to kind of fully multidisciplinary designers. Uh, we moved into directing and shooting stuff. Uh, we cut our teeth on major brands, and then we thought. We've kind of done a lot of stuff, but we're basically letting other people do the design and creativity now and managing them rather than doing it ourselves. So we decided to reboot, and that was when Dixon Baxi happened in two, late 2001. It's a very bold move, actually. I have a lot of admiration for it. I, I talk to a lot of people who, mm. who get to a certain point, whether it's um, design director, creative director, and often they kind of relinquish some of that creativity you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and a friend of a friend I was chatting to in New York actually said that he actually, he declined promotion to go to a certain level because he knew that he would be handing over That's cool. the hands-on creativity. Yeah, and I said, I know that I could make more money, but actually my day-to-day happiness and yeah. creative energy in this job yeah. is perfect and I, and I don't want to give that up. And I found that quite a, it's smart. Yeah. an admirable thing. So yeah, so I guess in some senses that is Dixon Baxi a kind of a statement of intent. This is where you want it to go and you thought, okay, we... I think, I think um, you know, there's no denying that, I mean, we were really young when we were in that very um, great position of working with a, a team of designers, and, and we're doing some really great stuff on some really big brands. Yeah. Yeah. And so, to be honest, actually, the, there was a certain amount of, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, certainly for me anyway, uh, a, a questioning, is this the right move? Is this the right time? But it absolutely felt it. Um, you know, Simon said, you know, we, we've done a lot of different things. And this was kind of one of those opportunities where um, we could challenge ourselves in a different way. And I think yeah. you're right, when we started, we, it was a statement of intent. It was a statement of intent of, um, of reinvention, really. A reinvention of um, what creativity means to us, what design means to us, and an opportunity to do it on our own terms. So, you know, for a long time, um, and one of the first things we decided that it was... Uh, Dixon Baxi uh, as an idea as a concept and Simon says it's not two people it's the overlap of that mm-hmm. and that's the space that is really interesting and um, you know one of the, the first things that we also decided was that it was just going to be two of us and that we would collaborate if we need to with individuals or teams or companies anywhere in the world to um, you know realize the vision together it's much more common now, you know, loads of large agencies have splintered and there are lots of, lots of that's happening. But back in 2001, 2002, it felt fairly fresh and it felt unique to us and it allowed us to um, pursue that intent. And we also um, are currently actually, because this is our 15th year, looking at a retrospective of work and we kind of cast our minds back and... And one of the, the first things we did was write a list of things we would do and a list of things we wouldn't do. Mm. Um, and that helped define us. It, in a sense, it was our purpose. You know, it helped say, actually, you know what, we're going to say no to those things. And we're absolutely going to say yes to these things. And, and that created a sense of, um, you know, no bullshit, honesty, this is what we care about. And it helped, um, certainly in the formative years of our business, um, 
create a real focus and a real sense of definition, which I think is really important. If you're gonna, I think um, if you're gonna be good at, good at what you do, that's one thing. But loving what you do is really what it's about. You don't get out of bed in the morning to earn a living as a creative person. You get out of bed in the morning because that's what you do. It's a way of life. It's not a profession. And to do it well, you have to do it on your own terms. Not to be arrogant, not to be difficult, but if someone works with Dixon Maxi, we really go to town. Like We put our heart and soul into our work. So you have to have the right relationships to do that because we're very passionate about our work. And if it's not great and it doesn't have a good effect for people, there's no point in doing it. Mm-hmm. And in, inherently, we're commercial artists. We operate in the classic zone of working for somebody else. So the, the people you work with, the way you work with them, how you create things for huge audiences, you know, two or three billion people see the work we create. So it's a huge responsibility at some levels. Um, you've got to be really sure-footed about what you're doing and why you're doing it if you want it to be a true way of life. You can be an independent artist, and maybe if you're a painter or a photographer, you can do it slightly differently. But if you have a company, you have a, a, a broader kind of mindset. You have to have a different way of looking at the world. So we've always been like that, and change is a big thing for us. We're very restless. Mm. So it, uh, I think it's really important as, as you develop as a creative to keep changing, to test yourself and to adapt and change, to want to remain relevant, but also to keep yourself fresh. Mm. Because... You pick up scar tissue, you pick up ways of seeing the world, and you can't become jaded if you want to be excellent. You've got to keep rebooting yourself. So hiring people, working in different countries, trying different disciplines, all of that stuff is part of that process. So starting Dixon Baxi was um, a good way of doing that, because we were doing that every day now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, think, do you feel like that creates more wholesome relationships with your clients because you've been so upfront and you are... I don't know, militant's the right word, but... Don't say that. We're we're lovely people, honest. Maybe from a very different perspective as a freelance illustrator, but I very much sort of live and die by the same rules. I've always been quite ruthless with what makes my portfolio. I use that very much. I think that's a really smart thing. Uh, And and I enjoy, you know, 11 out of 12, I don't know why 12, but 11 out of 12 jobs. I I love the vast majority of my work. And now you mentioned the retrospective thing, Mm. looking back has enabled me to look back and understand now why I'm in a position where I'm enjoying most jobs. Yeah. How does that work for you, looking back at um, your own catalogue? Does, does that inform ideas that are happening now with a, new, with a fresh eye? I think yes and no. I think um, it's really interesting to look at a body of work when it's really abstract to you, in, in a sense, because you just do the work. And most of the time you're thinking about the moment and the next thing. So you're thinking about what you're making, but as you're working on the job, you're thinking about the next job that you're winning or creating. So you're usually spinning plates. Um, So you'd have a lot of time to look back. Um, And when you look at the body of work, ours is very eclectic, and deliberately so. We've always been uh, very wide-ranging in the way we look at how we use our creativity and how we collaborate. And we're very diverse in the way we work with our clients. 80% of our work's international, for example. So we're very keen on that diversity. Um, but yeah, it kind of creates an interesting situation that you're, you're defined by what you've done, but I think you're really defined about what you might do. I, I, I love potential. I love about the things that you might be able to do with your skills. Mm-hmm. So you can use the experience, but what's really important is what will you do with that experience? And it stops you resting on your laurels because it's really easy to believe your own bullshit and think you're good. Oh, and as soon as you do, you're fucked. Oh, without a doubt. But, yeah. I, can rewind but I think your idea of um, 
editing. That's what we're doing with the book. We printed out, I don't know, what, three or four hundred sheets today? Yeah. <laughs> Bob was going through, he's going, no, no, <laughs> no. You know, because you don't like it. What's good about the, the process, though, is that uh, the, the way one of, one of the kind of, um, the sort of principles of the book is to tell the, the untold story of it. Because, you know, if you, if you, the way we're seeing it is that it's not a catalogue. We've never been ones to um, archive in the traditional sense and, and put things in a, in, a, in a sleeve and then that's that and, and go through life like that. I mean, because there's a spontaneity to how we work, there's an energy. So it's, as Simon says, you know, it's kind of like this, uh, what's next? So we haven't had a chance to kind of put the previous thing uh, neatly away. And so the whole process is actually almost uh, uh, looking at it through um, an entirely different lens. So rather than us just doing it, we have um, a couple of other designers who've never really seen that archive of work um, going through stuff. And it's really interesting to see that story be told in a different way. And because a lot of our work is... um, the process or making it is uh, quite immersive. You know, we're quite um, you know passionate and intense about making the work, and a lot of the times that's um, that's again lost. You've taken the photos to document it and so on, but looking at those, spending time, uh, being ruthless about elimination of things that um, actually we don't want to show, or um, you know, sometimes it isn't the finished product; it's how we got there. All of those things that I think are revealing um, what we believe might be the true story of the company or might be useful to others. You know, so simply, you know, rather than um, a book of great projects, it's actually um, a story that might help students or other creatives mm-hmm. or that type of thing. And, and this conversation that we're having now feels like a, a strong motivation for how the book might feel as opposed to um, simply... Uh, an archive, which I think is, is yeah, really interesting. more interesting, hopefully. Yeah. And just from an outside perspective, that, that seems a lot more Dixon Baxi than, yeah. as we mentioned earlier, third person account would, would be. Yeah, I think it's... Um, if you know about the industry, you know what people's work looks like. I mean, you know, we've seen everyone's work and, you know, there's a lot of awesome people in London making good stuff. So the question is, what... What's the difference? Like, why do they make the work the way they work? Work, and we're not really navel gazers, and we're not people who look back necessarily. Mm. But we are people who um, feel very liberated in the way we work, and sharing that might just show people that going back to what we're saying about uh, about getting into the industries, there's loads of ways of being creative in this industry. So, for example, uh, last year uh, we had our feature film that we we shot and wrote and directed and produced um, was in Tribeca. It was an official selection at the Tribeca Film Festival. Yeah. And that's separate to Dixon Baxi. It's a feature film we shot, which is a long arc of loving films for our entire lives. But um, that's an example of not putting a limitation on how we work creatively. So expressing some of that in the way we look at ourselves, I think, will be really interesting. But what it really is, is drawing a line on the sand and saying, look, we're doing some really interesting stuff. But with those skills and with these great people we have in the studio and these fantastic creative talents, what can we go and do now? Mm-hmm. What's the next phase of what we do? Because we've got to do something to be relevant to ourselves. Not, you know, we don't really care what the industry thinks about us. We love the industry and we love a lot of the people in yeah. it. But we don't care what people think about us. So we, we care about how we're going to get better. 
what what will we do tomorrow to be more awesome? Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that we're awesome in an arrogant way, but just from our own perspective, oh, loving the work we yeah. do. I completely get it, and I, and I think it's so important to do some to do it simply for you because yeah. the like you know at the moment you start to please others or work towards this what someone might want to see, which is a trap a lot of new graduates fall into. Yeah. That's when you lose sense of why you're going to in the first place. The problem with that stuff is that the the way that the the work is framed and the holding devices takes more precedent than the work itself. So when you really analyse that work, the same proportion of people are excellent and the same proportion of people are not so excellent. It's just the way that people share their work now has a slicker feeling than it ever did before. Mm. And there's a danger that that allows people to do more mediocre work because people perceive it as a higher quality than it actually is. Mm. So we try and avoid that as much as possible. You talked about the, the constant change and... All the people I've heard most have, have embraced that. Um, the time frame interests me. So you started two thousand and one. What a what a great time span. I mean, if, let's face it. If you hadn't embraced change during that time period, you could well have been left behind. Because I mean, look at the <laughs> look at the explosion of technology and, and digital capability now that we, yeah. that we have. Yeah, we were lucky actually that um, while we were cutting our teeth in the nineties. We did a lot of uh, futuring work uh, for people like uh, Microsoft, Ford, uh, Levi's and lots of large companies about the future of technology and how it engages audiences. So we were right at the front of how that stuff was happening. <clears throat> and all that's happened is it comes, comes true. So uh, whether it's mobile devices or digital platforms, applications or the way that social media works, we've been looking at that for two decades um, in different forms. So we've always embraced uh, technology, change, and how technology can liberate you to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. So it feels very second nature and very natural to us. And I think in order to be relevant, you've got to keep looking at what you're doing. But we always centre it around the audience. So you centre it around people. It's real people all over the world. Someone in Mexico, someone in Japan, someone in France, someone in America or the UK. They're real people who have real needs and you're creating a brand or a design system for them. If you follow those guys, or those women, and those people, um, you'll be fine. If you start to believe your own hype and design a certain way that you believe is right for you, you'll get caught in a loop. That's how we see things. So we design for real people, and that means we're part of the overall context of Mm -hmm. um, culture, hopefully. (laughs) I think it's it's brilliant. I mean, um, one of the things that I found really interesting was a six-part plan. Can you tell us about that? Because it's something that I've not seen a lot of, that actually setting out intangible steps, um, yes. the way that you work. Process. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because um, it's, in one sense, is actually uh, counter to healthy work. We have we have the process, and it, it's, it's actually born from all the experience that we have. And, and really, the, the reason for it is to... Um, Partly to help clients understand um, how we think. You know, if you if you look at our work, um, uh, it's uh, it can be visceral. It's it's quite impactful. It's got um, an energy and an attitude of its own. But um, where that starts from is building a strategy and a purpose, and and that's really important. And, and again, you know, purpose is an oft used word, but it's something we've been thinking about for a long time. And without that, it's very hard to point a business. Um, in the right direction and our work is not simply just how something looks but to work with um, you know the senior team or the team uh, across the business to help align what we do with their business goals 
And so there's a, a very strong kind of intellectual commercial part to the way we work and think about things. Um, and the, the, the process, the six-stage process, is essentially to, um, and we call them methods, right? They're ways in which we can kind of unlock that potential, unleash that potential for the business. And it allows us to quite clearly um, work on a, a couple of different levels. One is for clients and, and partners to understand that there is um, a very strong uh, intellectual approach, uh, but there's also this highly spontaneous approach. So while we're thinking about strategy, we're thinking about creative and making those things really exciting. And the whole thing is about how can we make things better through creativity. The, the other thing that it helps is um, by uh, focusing the, uh, on a really practical level, the, the production team or the creative team or the strategists or ourselves in uh, what part of this project are we in? You know, how are we thinking about this? And then the reason for the methods is that when we're thinking about strategy, uh, we have ways of um, you know, kind of extracting uh, what we call kind of the elephants in the room or the opportunities, things that the business can uh, use to uh, propel itself. And we have exercises to do that, whether it's um, uh, a creative war room, you know, we turn a space into a creative space where we do um, kind of creative workshops or where we might sit with a senior team and have a debate and a discussion like this. Um, and those things are interesting because they're all ways in which people come on the journey. And that's the, the whole reason for it is that the creative process isn't simply that we get a brief, uh, we come up with a design, present it, and then, you know, hopefully they approve it and we get it done. It's actually that a lot of Bless you. A lot of the projects that we do, because they're working with um, large-scale organisations, um, they require a lot of people to become part of that story. And uh, just because there's a new business card and a new logo on the door doesn't mean you believe that. Mm -hmm. So the whole reason for the process is to bring people along. And um, so when we do get to that launch day or that reveal, that they go, actually, these clothes fit. This is how this company and culture should feel. But it doesn't stop there, you know, that's day one and then you continue. So the process, I guess, in simple terms, is just a way of um, expressing all that we do and helping people know which part of the journey they're on um, and, uh, you know, helping people feel that they're immersed in that process. Mm. That's, yeah, that's just the reason I, I admire it is because I understand that with, within every point of that there's going to be so much creative and, and, and intangible Absolutely. stuff in there. Yeah, but, yeah. Just as a user-friendly thing, it's a great way to invite someone in and make them allow them to make sense of it a little more if they're less well, experienced in the um, Any form of creativity has large sections of it which are distinctly uncertain. So, if you're um, if you've got the responsibility on the client side to go take the business through a huge change, you have a massive responsibility, and it's really high pressure. But at the same time, it's massively thrilling. Mm -hmm. So, the the reason for the stages as Paul says is to take people on that journey but at certain points um, you know there's a you can get a handhold of you like know where you are and people buy into ideas um, they, they require stories and narratives to connect with things mm -hmm. that, that's what you connect with um, and then you create design assets to communicate that idea or, or market that idea or connect to people or create systems to deliver content or, or information mm -hmm. so on one level it's very complicated what we do but the, the stages simplify that. So it gives people, um, they don't keep th 
throwing to the end going, we're going to have to make thousands of assets or we're going to make loads of things. It's like, we're here, it's okay. Let's just enjoy this. Let's make the most of this potential and do something amazing with this project and then move to here. We'll keep planning for you. We'll keep putting the track in front of you. We'll, we'll go into the Virgin Territory and make sure no one's going to get killed along the way. And we've done it enough times now that we could take people you know, yeah. along with us. But the idea is to liberate the creative process. The simpler it is for people to understand, the more relaxed they are. The more relaxed they are, the more they can have good ideas to do something really smart for the project. Mm. That's what it's all about, is having good ideas. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's ultimately what it all comes down to. Kind of, yeah, I suppose so. And good typography. <laughs> <laughs> or good sketches. Good Swiss typography. Yeah, exactly. Or good writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like that. <laughs> so, um, I was absolutely blown away by the Premier League work, so Thank congrats, you. I think that was really, really strong uh, stuff. As a, as a big football fan myself, I found it quite funny because someone had recently sent me um, the nineteen ninety seven um, promo with Sean Bean. Oh no way! Um, wow. Yeah, kind of very heartfelt, passionate yeah, speech yeah, yeah. from all the fans. And really, stuff really, like very mid nineties, but actually very very sp- still held up quite well yeah. for the energy of the game. But actually, as someone who's been obsessed and I, def- I genuinely feel like it's a detriment to my life at times. Football, but um, <laughs> I'm a profession. I work for a lot of footballing clients, but. <laughs> going off track a little bit sorry, but, um, the game has come along so much yeah. in that time so the video and the motion graphics stuff you guys did that to me encapsulated the statistical side of it and, and, yes. and, and the new levels of depth that we have in the game today exactly. off them. Um, along with retaining that energy and that, and that just heartfelt passion what a great brief um, yeah He's, I mean the tr- I was chatting to somebody about this this morning actually and the truth is um, football is real if I'm a Leeds United fan... Me too. Got it, sorry. We can have a... Hence the pain Yeah, yeah, we can have a mutual sub story. But um, I can't change my affiliation to Leeds, nor would I want to. No. So you live your life in that crests and waves of your club. And obviously the Premier League is the zenith of that. If you're in the Premier League, that's the sharp end of being the, the best in, in this country and then, of course, ultimately the best in Europe if you're in the Champions League. But it's about real. If you're on the terraces and you're chanting or shouting, that's a real moment. So your connection to football is about heroes and villains and mm. club to club. Uh, and if you're an international fan, the Premier League is held up as this beacon of like the cut and thrust and the energy and the passion and the drive of British football. It's very different to Serie A or you know, German football, for example. So it's a unique proposition. But the problem was the Premier League had, um, I suppose, uh, a vacuum had, had happened between the Premier League and the fans. And that disconnect causes problems because if you want to really make a difference to people, you have to have a relationship with them as a brand. And their relationship was quite intangible. Though Premier League does amazing things for communities and lots of things internationally for football, they put a lot, lot back. But reputationally, um, that maybe wasn't strong. But also, they deliver the Premier League to tens of millions of people all over the world, all day, every day, in lots of different ways, and lots of different platforms and technologies. So as a, a design language, it's a brilliant challenge. If you're into sport, you're into football, finding a way of reinterpreting how you deliver football is a brilliant brief. It's an amazing brief. And we did that when we were with Formula One, and we did that when we were with Eurosport. And whenever we do a sport client, it gives you an opportunity to look at those things freshly with a fresh pair of eyes. So we were very keen to do something different. And 
you know, the, for example, there's a motion theory to the project where everything that's animated is animated based on the cut and thrust of football. So one animation follows the, the rhythm of a dribble of the ball. Mm. Another animation follows the rhythm of a long ball. So it's long, you know. Yeah. So what happens is underneath all the technical design systems, there's a raw heartbeat in football. And we used all of our experience and knowledge as designers and all of our... Um, knowledge and experiences, pain, pain football fans, <laughs> smush those two things together. And I think what we did was quite fresh within uh, both sports and specifically football as a, as a design methodology. And hopefully, well, we know that people have really enjoyed it so far. Not everybody, but uh, the reaction so far has been very positive to how people enjoy watching the game, which is what it's about. Yeah. You know, you've got to enjoy the footy. That's what the whole project's about. So did the Premier League come to you? Where, where that was essentially the brief. They wanted to really shake things up and they, then they came to you. Is that how the work came about? Yeah. Um, I mean, what really happened was that they... Um, the thing with the Premier League is that they decided uh, quite monumentally to kind of move away from the title sponsor, Barclays. And, and that's why it looked the way it looked. Um, uh, because it was really a Barclays Premier League. And, and so the, uh, the Barclays brand was front and centre and Premier League was um, playing second fiddle to that. Mm-hmm. So coming out from under, in, in essence, of actually it's such a, a massive organisation was really interesting. So it really liberated them. And I think, you know, the, the, uh, the really exciting thing was that they were of a mindset yeah, to feel and be quite revolutionary. And so when we were looking at the TV experience, um, you know, there was this uh, opportunity to do the same. And, and because we just come off the back of uh, working on Eurosport um, and BT Sport, funnily enough, um, it, we were kind of already thinking about the challenges of um, how to bring a sporting experience to life. So there's obviously the, the, the fan, and then there's the player, and now we've got the brand. And when you think about a TV experience, certainly for something like football, um, yeah, there's the game, and that's what people are interested in. So how do you enhance that? You know, how do you do things to um, add value to that? And then you think about, well, actually, the league tables and their charts and their kind of formations and so on. It's not the most exciting stuff, if you think about it. So I think for us, the challenge was, um, well, how can that feel different and new? And then if you look at um, sporting graphics the world over, they, they function in a very functional way. You know, there is a system that runs them, um, and they're almost um, engineering and precision-led, um, but they look a certain way. There tends to be... Um, either spinning 3D graphics or uh, a sheen on things um, and they're quite matter of fact and I think we had the opportunity of using um, uh, some of the work that um, uh, the partner studio that developed the identity and the initial brand work a design studio did but then really stretch and uh, evolve that so what we had the basis of was this very exciting DNA um, but as a TV experience, what we were going to do with it. And so the things like uh, the motion theory, uh, the things like, well, how do we blend these colours together? How do we lay the tables out so they're not only completely legible, but feel like there's an exhilaration to them? And I think that was really interesting. And, and we went through a process of designing maybe upwards of 1,000 to 2,000 uh, different assets and, and so on. But 
it's not the assets, it's how they're orchestrated. Mm. Yeah. It's the flow between them. So there's the, uh, the classic 16.9 screen that everyone watches. But for us, the graphics were um, above, below, left and right, mm. in time. And so what happens is that you get this um, beautiful flow. And we talk about the rhythm of the game. Well, that rhythm of the game <laughs> has to appear not only in the animations, but how you move from one object to another. And so what's really interesting is that a table, um, you know, that uh, I'm sure fans around the world have gone, it's great, it's not great, um, has hundreds of iterations, has uh, lots of thinking about. And, um, you know, that's where typography, information graphics, um, you know, quality of layout, craft, and all the things, grids, and all the things that I guess, you know, were in our formative design years come into play, mm -hmm. but to an audience of billions. And, you know, we think, I don't know, that's really fascinating and usually exciting because on the one hand, you've got the love of the game and on the other hand, you've got the love of design. And this is a great opportunity of, of trying to live up to the responsibility. Yeah. Because for all of us, that's what it was. And it, it wasn't just us, you know, it's um, credit to all the agencies involved because everyone was in it to do a great job. Mm. And I think, you know, um, as projects get larger and larger, what happens is collaboration becomes key. And it's a big part of how we think and, and what we do. But, you know, it's a, it's a shared experience. And the shared experience, if done well, client included, everyone's trying to do something for uh, fans around the world, um, you know, and to serve that. And I think that's, that's the success of the, the project. You can actually, you can feel that in the project. You can feel if people are into it. In, in the end result, you can tell if the client and, you know, for example, Paul was mentioning Design Studio creating the identity and the ad agency and the digital agencies and ourselves and lots of other people. You have to all be right on your game to do mm -hmm. the work. But you can feel that sometimes. You can just feel on a project. When you see it, everybody was on it. They were just up for the, up for the yeah. challenge. It really comes across. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, we can never look from the outside, so you never know about your own work, but we could see what the other people were doing. Yeah. So if we were inspired by what they're doing, we hope reciprocally we would inspire them and everyone does a good job then, hopefully. Yeah, to me as a fan, it just felt very contemporary, but very, at the right levels of energy, like say the balance of yeah. information, energy, and, and mm -hmm. uh, passion. Um, but how was the dynamic? So, yeah, 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 you mentioned that Design Studio created and rebranded the, the, yeah. uh, the Lion, right? The yeah. logo. Um, is that something you often do work with, uh, with other assets? Was that a, a challenge in its own right? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it, it's, it's relatively common because, as Apova said, um, the scale of job we do, uh, they're all pretty large. So, they're usually multinational, uh, they're always multi platform. And inevitably, when you're doing a job of this size, there's a PR agency, an ad agency, a digital agency, a client's team, mm -hmm. yourself, other creative teams. So usually it's a team game. Yeah. Um, we typically will create the strategy, the identity, and the execution. But in certain um, projects, Eurosport, we collaborate with Pentagram, with a Design Studio, with Premier League. So occasionally you do that. And over our 15 years, it's happened a handful of times. And you pick and choose those projects on their merits, mm. you know, as, um, I suppose, experts in our field for the TV experience of Premier League, there's very few people who do what we do around the world. So there's a liberation to being that type of expert. But at the same time, we're brand experts and we understand how to facilitate through digital 
and other platforms and we're, we're very kind of um, multi-platform savvy so when we work we just try to be ad- additive wherever we can so we quite like well I suppose it's collaboration is, it drives our, our studio so when we can we'll try and do everything but if a juicy project comes along which seems like it's a good fit and there's some interesting people mm-hmm. to work with why wouldn't you work with cool people like I was saying there's a lot yeah. of good agencies out there yeah and also and like you said earlier about the relationship between the two of you I guess I would hazard a guess that it would also create that healthy level of competition too among you know yourself and other agencies yeah I think you know everyone wants to uh, do well and I think you know there is that but as I was saying on, on this one you know it really felt like everyone was um there was a higher purpose to go yeah. after. And I think that's ultimately what we should all be caring about. You know, of course, there's um, wanting to do great work and, and build the, um, the value in, in the studio and, and so on. But um, I think when you're collaborating, you have to get past that. And, and I think, you know, if you're working with other talented individuals, then that should be leverage, you know. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, the truth you know, is, you know, the longer you're in the game, the more you realise there's enough work for everybody. Yeah. And um, we're massively competitive, don't get me wrong. So, um, you know, at our level and the type of work we're working on, you have to pitch. Yeah. So we will pitch against um, any number of agencies on any number of jobs. And you know who's pitching what and when and all that kind of stuff. And we never ask who we're pitching against and all that, that kind of stuff. But you realise that there's a lot of really good agencies who yeah. could answer a brief as well as you, better than you, doesn't really matter. But there's enough work for everyone. So if we're up against someone, we'll compete really hard to beat them because we want the project. Yeah. But if we're collaborating with them, why not? It's great fun. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's enough room for everyone, I think. it's The world's a big place. And, you know, we're, we've always played our own game. We don't do a lot of PR. We don't do a lot of kind of... We do industry talks and things like that, but we don't really worry about what's going on with the industry. We play our own game. Mm. So, of course, inevitably you overlap with people, but we just do it based on the merits of the project and, you know, enjoy it while we can. Yeah, I think challenging yourself is the ultimate competition, isn't it? Yeah, it's like either do great work or not. Yeah. And if you do great work, you'll get more great work. Yeah. It's really simple. Yeah. Yeah, it's really simple. Sure. Uh, so what's, uh, what's going on? What's coming up? Anything exciting on there? I mean, the, the retrospective we talked about, what, what is going on? Well, what are we doing? We are um, working on our next feature film, which will be set in China. We're doing a 15-year retrospective book, um, which will be published about ourselves and the way we work. Um, we have two or three really um, beautiful, really beautiful brand projects on at the moment, which we can't talk about <laughs> because of confidentiality. So uh, we've just rebranded the History Channel in, in the US, which is a really comprehensive, mm. substantive project, which has just launched, and we're just getting the kind of feedback loop on that, but it's gone really, really well, and it's one of the projects we're the most proud of. It's really strong, it's a standout project. Yeah, it's one of those projects where, the, the ideal project for us really, which is, it's a brand which is ubiquitous, it's massive, it reaches a huge number of people, but it needs love. And when you meet the people in the brand, they're smart, they're on it, they understand what the brand's about. And our job is to take that potential and do something amazing with it. And it, very like the Premier League or other projects we've done recently, um, the outcome is, is um, quite contemporary, but sensitive to the audience and where they are. It's international, but it's sensitive that uh, it's driven by the US when it comes out internationally. And it's a good amalgamation of strategy, creative thinking, good craft, 
mm. you know, and all of our experience. So yeah, we're, we're doing two or three good projects at the moment. And um, I think really what we're thinking about is just uh, strengthening our team a little bit. We're going to add two or three creative people to make it a little bit stronger. We're about 22, 23 people now. So if we get to 26, 27, and we're just hopefully going to move into a new uh, building. So we'll have a nice home to work out of. And then it's just a matter of figuring out how you know what the next awesome project is and we'll keep that side of it quite simple yeah exciting stuff yeah it is it is yeah yes yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. and, and you know every day is um it's just always really interesting you know not only with the projects but because we have kind of longer term things like the film and the book they there's always something interesting to do and i think we've always been brought up in and, and worked in a way that has a, a certain intensity to it you know uh, in a in a Self-motivated. Yeah, it's a self-motivated uh, way, and, and the, the fun, it's, it's, it's the enjoyment of that, you know, being immersed, you know, mm-hmm. really like that, and, and kind of being um, very alive in meetings or uh, making things happen, and I think that's, that's kind of the state that um, the company, Dixon Maxi, always needs to feel like, that it's that restlessness to keep moving I suppose forward. the other thing as well is the... Um it's that sense of sharing it with your team as well. Yeah. So obviously our names are in the, the, the company name, but actually it's their company. So I think uh, mentoring people, as Paul was talking about earlier, creating the space for them to be excellent and giving them the space to be great creatively is really important to us. So we're going to spend a lot of time thinking about that. We try and get that side of things right. You don't always get it perfect, but uh, I'm... Um, I firmly believe this group of people we've got is the best set of creative people we've ever had as a group of people. Mm. And you can feel that in the work. There's, um, I said it earlier, but there's a magic. You can just feel it when people are into what they do and it's clicking. And we're going to add a little bit of muscle to that. But I think um, creating a space for people to be really good at what they do and achieve their own creative goals, I think, is one of the responsibilities we have outside of our own personal goals. So trying to be... um, an agency that people would enjoy working at and be passionate to work at and be proud to be work, working at, but also own, in a sense, conceptually, um, the work that comes out of it so that it's um, something that's important to them, it's really important to us. So we're trying to make that um, a kind of centre point of what we do as well creatively. So Dixon Baxi is an entity that is 25 people, it's not just the two of us. I mean, we happen to be talking now, but of course... Yeah. It's really those guys are the people who are making the difference. They're yeah. the ones who are doing the new work, as it were. I, mean, I wish more people thought like that. I really do. I just think, um, <laughs> as someone who really does love to get up in the morning and go and do what I do, and as I, I've been blessed enough to work with some fantastic creative directors and art directors, yeah. and have students come to me for advice, which is a, the biggest compliment I can yeah. get. I just um, it baffles me that more people don't think like you just described there about about yeah. taking care of people's enthusiasm and energy and magic, and I just think. You sometimes forget, don't you? I mean, we've, I know we've definitely done it over the years and, um, you know, when you look back retrospectively, you you obviously regret periods where you were too busy to do that and things. But I think, always deep down, I think if someone works at a company, they should come out of the company um, better than they came in, in -hmm. terms of their skill sets and the way they see the world, to give them the ability to do what they want to do in the future. Um, And it's always built based on their skill sets. Um, but there's no point in having people unless you help them fulfil fulfil their ambitions, whatever yeah. they may be. And hopefully, the longer they align with ours, and the, the longer people work with us, and the better we all benefit from mm. them ultimately. 
you know, because we learn shitloads of people. You know, we've got a set of interns in at the moment. They're amazing. We've got five interns or six interns in from lots of different backgrounds. And it's just an amazing feeling for them to ask you something or show you something that you wouldn't have thought of yourself. And after all these years of being in the industry, that's the bit I love the most, is walking by here and going, wow, that's really cool. I walked past the screen just earlier and I was like, shit, that looks great. That was a good day. Yeah. That's all I had to see was a nice piece of work. And like, yeah, yeah I've had a good day now. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the people who are coming into the company at that age will be the future of the company if, if they still hopefully stay with us. Yeah. So you might as well look after them. Absolutely. It's yeah. a good old round respect. Yeah. 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 It's mutual, isn't it? I mean, yeah. How do we stay fresh unless we, there you go. we listen and learn of people? I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a monologue. You can hear, by the way, we answer questions. We're like, <laughs> we like talking. But the... Um, you do have to listen to people as well, and the, the longer in the tooth you get, the more you realise that it's more and more important. Yes. That it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. reciprocal thing. It's like, as I get older, I listen more than yeah. I used to do. Because when you're younger, you're like, ah, shit, I know everything. <laughs> yeah, totally involved with that, yeah. Like, just, yeah. Some, some, I've had some people on the show that have not even been out of uni yet, and you know, in their second, third years, just because I found them interesting in some way. And they scratch their heads, so it's like, oh, what do you want? Made to be on, you had to say, yeah. oh, wow. and I'm like, well, it doesn't matter, take yeah. your names away, and what you're doing interests me, that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. And yet, everyone who's gone to this is fascinating, and I'm like, I love it, and I learn so much from every single person, and it's just. Uh, you can tell by the work. It's like, if you put you know, your book here, you can tell that you love what you do by looking at the book. And I wouldn't know how long you've been in the industry, but you just look at it and go, right, I'm going to go read this. Mm-hmm. And you see that with um, students' work, when we see someone's portfolio, you just go, shit, that's cool. And what we always think is we imagine what someone will be like after a year in our studio, yeah. not what they're like now, because obviously they're not going to have the, the tools and skill sets. But if they have the passion that Paul talked about and the hunger and the drive, we can teach skills. You can't teach loving what you do. No, you can't. So if they love what they're doing, they've got talent, we can nurture it. Mm-hmm. And that's a happy balance, I think. It's a good place to be. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> um, and so uh, the last bit I ask everyone this, and I put people on the spot. It's called Shark in the Tank, and um, I ask people for a, a love and a hate, or a positive and a negative. It can be as playful or as serious as you want, and it can be loosely within the creative industries, but it's just a wide open question. So I'm going to ask you to decide between yourselves who does the, the negative and who does the positive. What we love and what we hate. Yeah, it's very it's very open ended. Some people have named weather. Some people have gone really. Oh, I, I hate. Um, I hate. <laughs> <laughs> It's come out 50 years later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I just, um, you know, sort of uh, passiveness, you know, like not yeah. being into stuff, you mm-hmm. know. I, I find that um, really difficult to contend with, it, it is that this sort of, um, uh, you know, I like people to be additive, you know, whatever they're into. Uh, and I, I think you know, being apathetic to things is um, is, is kind of a, a personal hate um, because you know the, the flip side of that is that it's so motivating when you get the um, you know that, that that kind of positivity back or uh, an energy or a point of view. So I would say you know, hate is kind of uh, apathy or, or mm. passiveness to um, to something, and in this case, kind of the world of design and creativity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, what do I love? Um, I, well, it's a very broad concept, but the, the yeah. thing that I like the most is new things. 
So I'm a very in-the-moment type of person, I'm very kind of intuitive and spontaneous the way I look at things. So I love the next thing, and I always have done. That's a great answer. Um, so maybe that's a good balance. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> things that are barrier to that, <laughs> yeah, can fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that. Brilliant. What's the shark thing? This it's because it's my, I always name it as my favourite piece of art. The um, oh shit, yeah. The uh, impossibility of death in the mind of someone living. It's great when you see it up close and personal, isn't it? I just it blows my mind conceptually. It's yeah. just so larger than life. Um, so I, I just thought it would be nice. I always thought that was okay. And then I went, I saw it um, in an exhibition, and it just when you stand next to it and yeah. you move, and it moves because of the the, the refraction of the glasses. Pretty good stuff. And also because, because I love the way it divides people, so I just yeah. thought it was a good, um, yeah, a nice little exactly. end segment. And then some people are more kind of, oh, you know, what are you going to ask me than others? And I never tell people because it's just more better organic. Yeah. And uh, finally, your website, where can people see Dixon Baxi's work? DixonBaxi.com. D I X O N B A X I.com. Fantastic. Thanks very much for your time, guys. Thank you. Many thanks. That was awesome. Cheers, mate. Thanks again to Dixon Baxi for their awesome hour of time that they provided me with to come and see them at their studio there's a real buzz around the place it's an awesome kind of setup and as simon and apova mentioned in the show there um, the way they you know they work with their staff they give them the freedom they uh, they have to have the space to achieve their own ambitions under the banner of dixon baxi and i think that's a really fresh forward thinking attitude that that i wish more people would adopt um that being said, I think it's happening. I think I've, I've been into quite a few studios now. Um, I went and talked to Human After All for a previous episode, um, who do a lot of big client work in film. Same kind of attitude. Each person's got their freedom, they've got their role, they can use their initiative, and it's a real team effort. So it's inspiring stuff. So thanks again to those guys. Uh, like I said, thanks again to recent efforts, recent out-ins from guests such as Sir John Hegarty, brilliant Claudine O'Sullivan who won the the World Illustration Awards advertising category for her awesome Apple Pencil campaign. Go back and listen to that for the full scoop. Got there pretty quick on that one. Uh, coming up we've got BuzzFeed illustrator Rebecca Hendy. We've got digital arts editor Neil Bennett. Um, we've got Marion Duchars. We've got Annie Atkins of Grand Budapest Hotel graphic design fame alongside Bridge of Spies. Um, Penny Dreadful, she's worked on all the big hits and that's a real mind-blowing episode too so it's all going on and uh, it wouldn't be possible without the listeners so thank you guys, thanks to the regular supporters you know who you are, you're in touch regular and I love it and it would be pretty soul-destroying if I didn't hear from some of you guys thinking, is anyone listening to this thing? so cheers, cheers for the ongoing support please do share if you haven't found the time to go and drop an iTunes review for us please do just a couple of lines, just one line that'll do nicely. It really, really helps if you're a fan of the show. So please do spread the word, spread the love. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks to my wonderful sponsors, Illustration Limited, Heart Internet and Printed.com. IllustrationWeb.com, HeartInternet.co.uk and Printed.com. Thanks again to the Association of Illustrators, the AOI.com, for their ongoing support also. Uh, cheers. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you all very, very soon. Thank you.